Okay, guys. Uh, go ahead and. Am I on? Hey, uh, go ahead and grab your seats. We're gonna pull back together here. Uh, yes, yes. Grab your seats. I've got a few, a few announcements for us as we, as we, just a few announcements for us. Uh, First, you guys will note, you may have noticed this while you came in, but we've got some stockings that are on a, a table out here in, I guess, what you call a narthex, which I would think of as a lobby, okay, out here. Uh, you can grab one on your way out. And there are instructions about filling those stockings that are in each individual bag. Uh, it costs about $25. It's a way of caring for the Napier community where we, as Midtown, are planting a church. And so these stockings will be handed out to people in this community as a way of us kind of as Midtown showing our love and care for them as we are also planting a church in that community. So you can grab one of those stockings on your way out today or grab several uh, and then bring them back by December 18th is the date. Uh, and then those will be handed out after that. So grab as many as you want. Our goal as a congregation is that we would fill 100 of them uh, ourselves. So that's how that stock and drive is going. Uh, a few other things for you coming up. We've got a, a movement-wide worship night. So Midtown is one of several congregations that meets across the city. And one of our congregations over at Granny White is hosting this movement-wide worship night for us from 6.30 to 8. So there'll be a time of prayer, of reading scripture, and of singing. Uh, so I want to invite you, if that's something you'd like to be a part of, you can head over to Granny White uh, this evening. Then we also have coming up our school options panel, which I'm stoked about. So what we're going to be doing here is explaining the way the school options process works in Nashville, the way that you can uh, look at and choose some other public schools that you might want to be a part of uh, here, here in East. So what we're going to have is someone who is going to get up and kind of explain the way the school options process works. And then we'll have representatives from each of those schools who have uh, information they can share about their specific elementary school. Uh, if that's something that you are coming to, I want to encourage you, do not come alone. Bring somebody else. This is a way that we are really intentionally trying to care for our community. This is a, a something that a lot, of, a lot of families that are in East Nashville are often asking about and talking about. So this is a way that we're hoping to connect with them, is to provide information about something that they really are asking questions about. So that's December 4th. There are flyers downstairs with the coffee, flyers on the table here. I would encourage you to grab some of those on your way out and hand them out to your friends. Uh, yes, if you're new, there's that QR code on the little bookmark in front of you. Feel free to scan that. That allows you to uh, send us emails. You can ask questions. Uh, you can sign up for our newsletter. And would encourage you to join us after the service downstairs for coffee. Uh, there'll be a time where people are just kind of hanging out. So rather than having it out here because it's so cold, it's downstairs. You go out these doors, down the ramp, and there will be coffee and lots of screaming children down there. So come, uh, come enjoy that with us. Okay, now I'm going to invite Mary Bloom to come up. Mary is going to read our scripture for us this morning. Woo, yeah. Mary, is this your first time reading? It is. Wow, okay. It's a big bag. Uh, so it's right up there, Yes. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts 28, the last chapter of the book of Acts. This is our last week in Acts this fall. Mary's going to be reading for us from verses 16 to 31. You can also follow along uh, on the screen up here. And when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. 
After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you or speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that their salvation of God, this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Thanks, Mary. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, what we believe and trust uh, is your promise that you, uh, that you desire to speak with us. That, Lord, your word never returns to you void. And so we come, Lord, expectant that you, uh, that you will speak. We ask you to do that this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this is our last, uh, the last sermon in the sermon series that we've been working through, the last, ser- the last sermon for the book of Acts for the fall. And I'm curious to start, um, we're going to do just some hand raising, so, you know, so not like this, but like, you know, so I'm going to ask you some questions, okay, and it, uh, so you can raise your hand in, in response. And I'm curious, uh, if you've been following along with us, for how many of you is this like a weird ending to the book of Acts? Does this seem like a strange ending to anyone? Yes, okay. It is a strange ending, and we will get to that a little bit later in the sermon. I want to start, though, in a different place and ask, uh, do you know anybody in your life who is just like an incredibly hopeful person? Can you guys think of anybody in your life like that? If you do, can you give me a hand raise? Okay, those like very hopeful people, maybe they're kind of annoying to you, you know? Like they consider themselves just like radical optimists who are always charting out the best way things could possibly unfold. For the rest of us, we maybe think of them as not very realistic, right? But how many of you would say that, uh, that the world could use a little bit more hope? Can you give me a hand raise for that? Okay, right. It's Christmas time, so it's time for that kind of schmaltzy stuff, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Just more hope, more joy, more peace. Of course. Of course we want that for the world. What about, though, for you as a person, like as an individual human in the world? Do you think that you would benefit in your life from uh, a greater experience of hope? You can raise your hand for that. Of course. Because what is true about us as people 
is that hope is as necessary for us uh, for life as food and water is the oxygen that we breathe. Like if you read memoirs of people who have been in like prisoner of war camps, what they say universally across the board is that you have to have hope, otherwise you will not make it. That in the stories of people in, in, these, in these prisoner of war camps, what always happens is there are people who come in and they have no hope of escape. And when they have lost th that hope, those people don't make it. They die. And in these stories, they often, or they often, they always talk about people who have set their hope uh, on being released by a certain date. Like people who will say, my hope is that I will be released by Christmas. I know that we're gonna escape by Christmas. And they'll set their hope very firmly on a very weak foundation. And, and what is often the case is that those people don't make it either. That as the goalposts for their hope keep moving, what happens is they lose hope and they're unable to hold on to life. That one of the prerequisites for life is having something that we are looking forward to, that we're holding on to, that gives us stability and structure for the way that we think and move and live in the world. That hope is not a nice to have, hope is something that is necessary for us to have. But here's the thing about hope, is the fact that we need hope is a clue for us that something about our world is not right. Because if we're hoping for something in the future, what we're admitting about our present is our present is not the way that we would want it to be. That it's not all that it could be, that it's not all that it should be, and so we're looking for something in the future that's gonna change it and make it better. That's the nature of hope, is that it clues us in that there is something that's off, something that's amiss about the world that we live in. And what scripture says to that is, yes, that's true. Something is amiss. And ultimately, what's, what's wrong with our world is that we as people are a people who have been alienated from God. That's the problem as scripture presents it. That we as humans have been created, have the capacity for great intimacy for depth of connection, not only with each other, but with God. And that God himself, when he, when he created us, he breathed life into us. And the first thing that Adam and Eve saw when they opened their eyes was God's face. That's the kind of intimacy with God that we were created for. But that what is true about us as people is that we have turned our backs on God, walked away from him, and that what has opened up in that space between us is alienation. And listen, there are plenty of ways as people... That we, that we mess around with religion. All kinds of religious and kind of spiritual ideas. Often, all that does is reinforce the alienation that's already there because what we do is we create gods that we can manage that act as a salve to kind of soothe over our wounds but don't really address the yawning gap that exists between us and a very holy God. And that alienation that exists between us and God, that it has influenced every other relationship in our lives. That not only are we alienated from God, but we are alienated from each other. You don't have to believe in God to believe that that's true. But it's our alienation from each other that it's the source of all of the conflict, all of the oppression, all of the injustice that we see in the world. 
We don't even have to look at that on a, on a macro level. We can look at that at a micro level in our own lives. But it's the reality of alienation, of broken relationships, of distance uh, that explains the conflict that we so often experience in our lives with each other. It's the reason that we both love and fear the holidays, isn't it? That we know that the people who we love the most, that we long for, for connection with the most, are sometimes the people that we hurt the most. That's the alienation. And that alienation is not only between us and God, not only between us and each other, but it also affects our relationship with ourselves. That we are constantly busy hiding from ourselves, distancing ourselves from ourselves. That's why there are things like addictions in the world. And so we hope. We look for ways, for things, for situations, for ideologies, for circumstances to change in a way that we can say, no, 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 it's going to get better. But so often the places that we channel our hope are, are, are weak. There's a writer, his name is uh, Sadi Hamid, and he was writing for The Atlantic. This was last year. And the article is called America Without God. This is his kind of perspective on what's been unfolding kind of in the political realm in the United States. He says, as Christianity's hold in particular has weakened, ideological intensity and fragmentation have risen. American faith, it turns out, is as fervent as ever. It's just that what was once religious belief has now been channeled into political belief. Political debates over what America is supposed to mean have taken on the character of theological disputations. This is what religion without religion looks like. And he says, this new these new secular religions unleash dissatisfaction, not toward the possibilities of divine grace or justice, but towards one one's fellow citizens who become embodiments of sin, deplorables or enemies of the state. That what this author is, what he's cluing us into is, is exactly what we're talking about. That when we channel our hope into another direction, politics, for example, that it, it can't hold the weight of our hope that it becomes brittle and it breaks and it only increases the alienation that we were hoping to solve in the first place. And yeah, that's true with politics. That is true with so many other things in our lives that we are constantly creating for ourselves places that we can pour our hope and what we find out over and over and over again is those places don't hold up, right? Like the hope that you put in, uh, in vacation. Oh, if I can just make it to vacation. And then if you have kids, you think, oh, as soon as this vacation is over, right? <laughs> as soon as I can meet the person who is gonna finally love me the way I deserve to be loved. As soon as I get the promotion, as soon as I make that achievement, as soon as I, as soon as, it's all that is, is moving those goalposts of hope that keep disappointing us. But here's what Paul says in this passage. He arrives in Rome, and he's in chains. So Paul is this guy who's been out kind of proclaiming the news about Jesus everywhere. And he's done it in the city of Jerusalem and he's been arrested by the Jewish leaders and they've kind of shipped him off. They've bounced him over to the Roman authorities and in the midst of his trial, he said, you know what? I'm not gonna get a fair trial here. I'm gonna appeal to Caesar because that was his right as a Roman citizen. So he says, send me to Rome so I can get a fair trial there. 
So they do. They send him to Rome. There's a shipwreck. He gets bit by a poisonous snake. La, la, la. Okay, he gets to Rome. And he gets to Rome, and he's under house arrest. And when he arrives, he says, you know what I want to do? I want to I talk to my people, to the Jewish people, about why I'm here. So he gathers them all together. And what he tells them is, I'm going to tell you about the hope of Israel. Come back tomorrow. And what the passage says is that even more people came than the first time because people were desperate to know, what is this hope? For this reason, therefore, I've asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And what Paul, his consistent message is that the hope of Israel is the hope of the world. And so as a people who are desperate for hope, that makes us want to lean in, doesn't it? Does that stir you at all? What is the hope, Paul? What is the hope that you were talking about that you were telling us is the hope of Israel that's the hope of the world? What is this hope? Somebody whispered Jesus up here. Yes. Spoiler alert, it's Jesus, right? The hope of the world is not a what, the hope of the world is a who. The hope of the world is, the, is a who, it's, it's the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And let's, let's be honest, this is the most unlikely hope that you or I could ever imagine. Jesus of Nazareth? This is a man from a backwater part of a backwoods part of the country. A man who has no formal education, who is in abject poverty, who walks around in an itinerant ministry, no home, and at times in, his, in the three years that he was, he was active in his ministry, he would amass these large crowds. And what Jesus was amazing at during his time on earth was alienating all of the people who followed him. As soon as he got a crowd of people, what he would do is offend them and they would all go away. Doesn't sound like a very likely person to be the hope of the world, does it? To the point where, at the end of his life, he is crucified like a common criminal. Who's going to follow someone like that? And that's the question all of his closest disciples were asking themselves because at his death, they all left. That's our Jesus. The hope of Israel, the hope of the world. Because what Paul declares about him, what the scriptures teach us, is that Jesus did not stay dead. He was resurrected. And makes a bold historical claim that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, did not stay in the tomb, but that he rose from the dead. So what are his qualifications? What is his pedigree? Why should we listen to him? Because let's be honest, he has none of the things that we require of people who we would listen to. The endorsements on the back of his self-help book would not be very good, right? Ran a failing business. Failed at being an influencer. What he does have is the endorsement of God the Father who raised him from the dead. And what that tells us is that Jesus of Nazareth was not just a man. He was, in fact, the Son of God. And that as the Son of God, his death was about so much more. It was about so much more. 
that his death and his resurrection were aimed at healing the alienation between you and God. That's the hope of the gospel. That through Jesus' death and and resurrection, that our alienation from God has been resolved. That by and in and through Jesus Christ, it is possible for us now to approach this holy God to be back in relationship with him, to experience the intimacy with him that we were created for, that we would be able, because of what Jesus has done, to call God Father and to hear God call us Son, to hear God call us Daughter. That is what our Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. That's the hope that Paul is declaring is that, and this story is not the end, that death does not have the final word because like Jesus who was resurrected, we too when our faith is in him will be resurrected. And here's where that good news gets even crazier. What Paul consistently teaches, what the scriptures consistently teach us is that there is no thing that you can do that's gonna merit what Jesus has done for you. That that reconciliation between you and God, oh, it was very costly. It cost Jesus everything. But it cost him everything so that it could be offered to you and offered to me for free. There is nothing that we can do to earn it. And guys, that made, that made the people listening to Paul very angry. It is that message of God's free grace that makes religious people, even today, very angry. Because what we want to show up and do for God is to prove all of the reasons that he should love us. Look what I've done for you. Look what I've given for you. Look what I've sacrificed for you. Look at how obedient I am. Look how good I am. Look at, look at my education. Look at what I know. And Jesus says none of that matters. You think about the, the thief on the cross. That when Jesus was crucified, there was a man who was crucified next to him who spent most of their time on the cross mocking him. And yet, in the moments before that man dies, um, he, he turns to Jesus and recognizes there is something that's different about him. He says, I want to be where you are going. And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And I want you to imagine for a moment, this, there's a pastor, R.C. Sproul, who, who just blew my mind with this. He said, just imagine for a second that, um, that the man, the thief on the cross, gets up to heaven and is standing at the pearly gates, right? Which just for the record, don't exist. That's not how heaven works. We've talked about that a lot of times, just for the sake of the illustration, okay? So he's standing at the pearly gates and he's talking to an angel. And the angel says, hey, what are you doing here? And the guy's like, honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> and the angel says, well, you know, wh- tell me about your religious pedigree. Like, where did you study? The guy's like, nowhere. I did not go to school. I have no, I have no religious education. He's like, okay, well, you're self-taught then, right? So tell me about the, like, what do you know about the atonement, how the atonement works? He's like, I've never even heard that word in my life. Hmm. Well, you must be very well-versed in the scriptures then, you know, just like familiar with the ideas even if you don't know the words. Like, how many times have you read through the Bible? The guy's like, never read it. It's like, well, certainly you know John 3, 16. The guy's like, nope. It's like, okay, well, maybe you've been a very good person. Like, have you given a lot of money, you know, to uh, give a lot of money to the temple? Like, maybe there's a bench named after you or something, like a pew. He's like, no, I've stolen a lot of money, but I've never given any of away. Like, okay. 
so what are you doing here? And the thief on the cross, uh, he would see Jesus and he, said, he would say, oh, he said I could come in. And that's it. That's enough. And that will be all any of us can say. That when we are looking at Jesus face to face, we won't pull out any of our accomplishments, any of our awards, any of the things that we think that we have done for him. What, we'll, what we will be aware of in that moment is our desperate need for our Savior and the immensity of his love that covers all of that. You said I could come in. That is the hope of Israel. That's the hope of the world that Paul is proclaiming here. That's our hope, a grace that is freely given, not a result of work so that no one can boast. And that's the hope that has moved Paul out toward his world in mission and on mission. That's what we've been talking about all throughout the book of Acts, right? That the theme of the book of Acts is mission. but it's what Paul is carrying, the way he has experienced the hope of the world for himself that has propelled him outward and said, man, I have to share this hope of the world with other people. And that is why this ending that doesn't make sense actually makes the most sense. Because what we see here at the end of the book of Acts is a picture of faithful witness. It's what we are called to. It's, it's, it's such an appropriate way to end because it sets our eyes on what this life with Jesus is like. It's a, it's a life of faithful witness, not of fireworks. Like, we expect Paul to roll into Rome Billy Graham style, right? Like, throwing up a crusade, like, I'm going to fill up the Colosseum, here's your ticket, here's your ticket. We got this choir of people behind me singing Amazing Grace in Latin. Like, that's what we want to see, right? That's how the book started. Peter having thousands of people come to know Jesus when he preaches. But that's not it. Paul rolls in. There are some believers who go out and greet him, who encourage him, and then he's sitting there in house arrest. He's paying his own way, which probably means he's working. Like he's got his leather tools and he's like repairing people's tents, making them belts, I don't know. That's it? Yeah, that's it. Because this book is not about Paul. It's not a biography of Paul. It's not a biography of Peter. But it's a history of what happens as the message of Jesus has come into and gone out into the world. We talked about that verse, right? Like all the way back in the beginning, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And what we see here in this last chapter of Acts is that that message has finally reached Rome, the epicenter of political, social, and economic life at the time. It wasn't the ends of the earth, but from there, it would continue to go out into the ends of the earth. It's a story that is still unfolding. The end of Acts is like a massive dot, dot, dot. It's a to be continued. But the story that was unfolding throughout the book of Acts is the story that we are still in and a part of. The story that we have been called into, it ends in this open-ended way because this story is our story. 
there's this part in Lord of the Rings. Of course, gotta go there, right? It's like the darkest part of the journey. And Sam and Frodo, doesn't matter who they are, if you don't know, just go with it, okay? <laughs> Sam and Frodo are in this, they're, they're on this quest that only ever had a fool's hope of succeeding in the first place. And they're up, they've just climbed this giant stair, they gotta go through this dark and dangerous tunnel, and they're thinking, what are we even doing here? And Sam says, don't the great tales never end? No, they never end as tales, says Frodo. But the people in them come and go when their part's ended. And our part will end later or sooner. But no, the great stories never end. They keep on going. But that is the story, the mission that we have been called into. It's the same mission that Paul was on. Like the tale of the Roman, uh, of the Roman Empire, that story is over. It's not being written anymore. But this story of the church, the story of Jesus' mission on earth, working through his people, that story is still unfolding. You recognize that? Paul is sitting in this, in, in what was at the time the capital of all of the power in the world. And if you were to look at that scene kind of from a distance, from an unbiased perspective, you would say, well, which of these two things is going to keep on going forever, the Roman Republic or this man's message? And yet the Roman, Repu the Roman Empire has been done away with. And it is the message of Jesus, the hope of Israel, the hope of the world that is moving forward even still. That's crossing barriers and breaking boundaries even still. the mission that we are called to be a part of. And how are we called to be a part of it? How we're called to be a part of it, just like Paul, through welcoming and proclaiming. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Welcoming and proclaiming. But that's the kind of faithful witness that Paul is engaged in, and that's the kind of faithful witness that we are called to as God's people, a witness of welcoming and a witness of proclaiming. I like to think about Paul, right? He's sitting in this uh, probably not much more than a shack. His hospitality was not based on how nice his house was, okay? And, and the passage tells us that there were all these Jews who came to hear Paul preach and that some went away believing but that some went away not believing. Now, how did Paul know who believed and who didn't believe? You gotta imagine that some of them came back later and said, hey, we wanna hear more of what you were talking about. And he said, go ahead, pull up a chair, pour him a drink, water, wine, who knows? And he's sitting there with them, welcoming them into his home, proclaiming the gospel to them. That's the kind, of, the kind of community that we are called to be, that we desire to be, right? A community of welcome. That we would be the people, that we'd be the kind of people who live uh, open and welcoming lives. Who are saying to the people around us, come in. Yeah, come into our homes. Come, but, but more than that, come into our hearts. And the people that we would be saying that to would be the people who would be right around us. 
people that we work with, the people that live on our street, the people that we bump into at the grocery store. That would be kind of weird, I guess, just the people you bump into at the grocery store, right? The people that you develop relationships with naturally because of where God has placed you in the world. That we would be a people of welcome. That our lives, the boundaries of our lives would be porous enough that people could come into them. And the people that we would welcome would be people who are like us and people who are not like us. That's true for Paul. Anybody who was interested in the gospel, anyway, people who weren't even interested in the gospel were welcome to come into his house. All that that would be true about our homes and our lives. That they would be filled with people who are like us and filled with people who are not like us. Yes, that is the welcome of the gospel, isn't it? And our hope and prayers that that would be true about what happens here on a Sunday morning. You guys know, if we're going to be a welcoming community, uh, that is not something that I can just create up here myself. That's like that's on us. That's on you, like writing down people's names when you meet them for the first time. I've had somebody tell me that recently. She told me that. Uh, one of the things that was so impactful for her about coming to this church is that someone remembered her name the next week after she had come for the first time. And that the way that she was welcomed here was different than the way she'd been welcomed other places. Yes! Would you say yes to building that kind of a place with us? We're talking about things like a, like a welcome team. We've got greeters who are outside, right? We're gonna start helping people park because that parking lot is like a little bit crazy. And it works right now. But on the weeks that this place gets full, parking gets bananas, right? That's not super welcoming. So we're trying to figure out, man, how do we organize in a way that this place feels welcoming to new people? That's a part of this. We need your help with that. You can scan the QR code in front of you and sign up for the welcome team. So just a little, little note, little nugget for you. You know, that's a part of why we will probably not always be in this space. That what we want to be as a community is a welcoming community, which means having the space to welcome people. And right now it's working for us, but when we run out of space to welcome people here, we will do something about that, whether that's a second service or a different space. And I tell you that because what, what, what I'm trying to say is we're not, the church is so much more than a building, right? And as a church here in East Nashville, our hope is not in finding a space. We are a people who are on mission with Jesus, welcoming and proclaiming. That's true for us as a church. It's true about you in your own life, that we would be a people who are welcoming and then with that welcome who are also willing to speak boldly the name of Jesus. That's true about Paul here, that he welcomes people, yes, into his home and he's willing to tell them about the hope that he has because of Jesus. Sometimes that proclaiming starts with a question. Like the other day, I asked my neighbor, what is your spiritual background? Which I will tell you, I almost choked on the question. It was coming out of my mouth, right? I was terrified to ask it. okay. but that as we get to know people, as we hear their stories, we get to share our own and talk about the hope that we have and the hope that our world has because of what Jesus has done. That we would be a people who welcome and a people who proclaim. And listen, I know when I talk about that, there are all kinds of buts, right? But I am so busy But I have all of my own doubts, of course. But you don't know the sin in my life. But you don't know what people would see when they actually got close to me. But, but, but all of these things. But what about all the bad tapes that we have about what it looks like to proclaim the gospel? 
but I don't want to be like that, but I won't do that, but I won't say that. We, are, we can be so consumed with all of the things that we will not do and will not be that we will tie ourselves in knots and not do anything. But that more, we could address all of those barriers, right, to proclaiming and welcoming. But you know what I think is at the root of a lot of it? It's at the end of the day, um, there are places in our own lives and hearts where we, as God's people, as his sons and as his daughters, have refused his welcome that he's offering to us. That there are places that we are saying to Jesus, ah, oh, Jesus, if you only knew. Places of our hearts and of our lives that we keep back, that we look at, and that what we proclaim to ourselves when we look at those places is just shame. Because nobody talks to you more than you. What are you proclaiming over yourself? Is it the name that God has given you? Son of daughter of beloved? Or is it something else? When you, when you sin, or you sin again in the ways and the places that you have said you wouldn't, what do you say to yourself? And is it the gospel? That the place that we start living on mission with Jesus is in our own lives. Do you realize that when you come to Jesus and you, uh, you are confessing your sin to him, hey Jesus, this is something I've done wrong. Like, how do you think Jesus responds to that? Like, do you think he gives you a few tasks to do, like penance? Hey, thank you for saying that. Okay, go do these few things, right, and then we'll be okay. Guys, that's not the gospel. That what Jesus does is he, he bursts through the confessional door and he wraps you in his arms and he embraces you, he loves you, he showers you with kisses and he says, I'm gonna throw a party for you. That is the love of our Jesus. That when we turn to him in repentance, he says, yes, thank you. That is the welcome that we have received. Would you receive it? Oh, rather than fighting against the hugs and the love, trying to bat it away, rather than all the speeches you've prepared about how you're not worthy, man, put those things down and let him declare over you the truth of the gospel, which is that you are far more messed up, I am far more messed up than we could ever, than we could ever tell or see for ourselves, but we are far more loved than we can ever imagine. And when you're having trouble proclaiming that for yourself, would you let other people who are a part of this community proclaim it over you? This mission of Jesus starts. Ground zero for this mission is in our own hearts as we receive the welcome of the gospel and hear it proclaimed over our lives. So I'm gonna invite uh, our band to come back up. And as we worship, uh, that's what we're gonna be doing. You're gonna hear an invitation in the first song to come. But that's for you, that you would come to Jesus, whether you, have co or whether you are coming to Jesus for the first time or coming to Jesus for the thousandth time, that you would come and that what you would experience even as we worship is the welcome of the gospel. And that if you are, or if you are struggling to believe that you can be called son or daughter, would you listen to these songs? Hear it proclaimed over you and man, sing it out and proclaim it over the people who are here with you. Let me pray for us.
Father, we praise you that you have given us hope. Or that we are not a people who have to go out of these doors and go find it somewhere, that it has come to us in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you proclaim it over our hearts this morning? Jesus, would you woo us out of the places of our fear and of our guilt and of our shame? Would you pour your love over us? Would you embrace us with it, Lord? Would you proclaim the truth of you as our Father, us as your sons and daughters over us this morning? We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.